Hello everybody and welcome. The Semi-Pro Podcast is now the Garbage Time Podcast. We have a little bit of a reassembled crew. It is now me, Ryan Milano, and Sean McPherson, our new co-host on this show. We're super excited to get this thing going. There's now actually going to be two podcasts on the Semi-Pro channel. It's going to be the Garbage Time Show and Uncensored with Scotty and Johnny, which will be every Monday. That'll start this Monday. That'll be me and Ian Johnson, so make sure to tune into that one as well. But guys, it's a nice first show, even though we're in the midst of this pandemic and there's not really a lot of sports going on. We get to talk about the draft a little bit. Now, just overall thoughts. What are your? What is your biggest love from last night's draft and your biggest hate? I loved the draft as a whole overall. I thought that there were going to be a ton of technical issues. I thought that it was going to be an absolute crapshoot going on on national television, which personally would have been great as well. But it worked pretty much without a hitch. I thought it was actually pretty solid. It felt like a typical second round of an NFL draft just with more stakes, which I think is the best that you can ask for if you're the NFL or ESPN's perspective on this. So I absolutely loved the way the NFL draft was run. I thought it was run smoothly. And my favorite thing was the draft camps. The draft camps were hilarious, especially for a few of the GMs, a few of the coaches, a few of the players were just awesome. And I thought that that was the most entertaining thing of the night. Yeah, before we hop into the just the X's and O's of this draft, I was really impressed with how ESPN, and I didn't get to see the NFL Network broadcast, but I watched both ESPN and ABC, um, and both those channels did a great job. They had the college football guys on ABC, they did a great job, and then they had the NFL analysts on ESPN, and you know, given the circumstances, I was really impressed with the NFL last night. There were maybe a couple minor things, um, you know, Roger Goodell a couple of times, like it would show him like talking to the cameraman or something. But for the most part, given the circumstances, the NFL did a great job. And um, I, I think there's, you know, while I do feel bad for the players that they've worked their entire lives, didn't get to, you know, shake the commissioner's hand and walk on the stage. I thought there was something special about, you know, being with their families and celebrating with their loved ones, um, just the biggest moments of their careers. So overall, I think ESPN and I think just the overall NFL did a great job last night. I agree. Like, I really expected there to be a lot of technical difficulties throughout the broadcast. I mean, how could there not be? We've even, we've even been seeing them in like Sports Center and First Take and other talk shows like that. Like the talk shows are, or that the technical glitches are unavoidable. We go through them on our show, trying to do this through Zoom and whatnot. And they did a really good job. Like Sean said, there was just not a lot of bad stuff going on. They did show Roger Goodell giving the way a pick a couple times. That was that was a little shaky and, you know, talking to the cameraman. But, like, overall, it was a really great broadcast. And I don't think they really could have done a better job. Hopefully, round two goes off with the same kind of bang. But my favorite part of the draft was probably seeing the amount of people in different players' houses. We had players like Tua with 20 people in their house, and we had guys like Joe Burrow with just him and his mom and dad. So, you know, some people were completely disregarding the uh, social distancing guidelines, and some were totally following them. It was just a fun time in general. And you can't really blame them for disregarding it. It's one of the biggest moments of their lives. You want to have everyone in your circle to be there too experience it did with you, you see um i forget who it was but one player had like people hiding in their hallway 
Oh, yeah, there was... And you could totally see him on the camera. There was one where uh, it was clear that a player's mom was just shooing people away out of mm-hmm. the camera's view. It was. I thought that was one of the most entertaining parts of the entire night. Also, cool. I've got to say, some players killed the outfits. I forget who was in the robe, but whoever was in the robe... That was Ruggs. Yeah, Ruggs is a stand-up guy. I love seeing the robe. you got to be in total comfort. The question was, was he wearing anything under there? you got to hope he was. You saw some guys take just completely different approaches. I mean, yeah. you had Tua, who dressed, dressed as if he was going to the actual draft. He was in a suit and tie. He looked fly. And then you had Ruggs, who was just in the ultimate comfort um, outfit. And that was awesome as well. But, you know, the last point I want to hit on of just overall draft last night is it was kind of funny just to see people's houses. And as you guys mentioned, just the people that they were with. Um, a couple of standouts, Cliff Kingsbury's house. That was incredible. <laughs> Um, they showed Bill Belichick, and it was just—it was exactly what you'd expect out of Bill Belichick setup. It was just—I think he had like two laptops. He had um, an extension cord running. It was a pretty basic kitchen. I mean, that guy is just like—he's—he's he's like Greg Popovich. He's just all football. He's all his sport that he coaches. Nothing else. No glamour or anything. And then the last one that was really funny was Mike Vrabel. And how he had his sons kind of play dress up in the background. Um, <laughs> so definitely a couple of stand-ups um, that certainly gave me and my family a, a laugh watching it. Mike Vrabel was right, so- without a doubt my favorite of the night. Mike Vrabel, first of all, he was chewing his tobacco. It, mid-shot, he spit some chew back in his dip cup. And then his two kids behind him, the one with the mullet and then the one in the morph suit. That was without a doubt the stand-up... Uh, stand out especially of like the latter half of the round i loved that part it was mike vrabel might be my favorite person in all of sports it he's amazing all right so not a lot of surprises in last night's draft especially at the top most guys got picked where we thought they would get picked a couple minor things but i think the biggest surprise of the night was the packers trading up in the first round they go and grab Jordan Love. I mean, that's leaving a lot of people scratching their heads. And, I mean, I, I'm kind of lost on this one. So can someone explain it to me why you would want to draft Jordan Love and trade up for him in the first round when you have Aaron the bad man Rodgers as your starting quarterback and you just came off a 13-3 and season? Well, in See, what con- the Packers Go for it, Sean. Sorry, Ryan, go ahead. You can go for it. Go for it. So what the Packers experienced about – 15 or so years ago, 10 years ago, whenever it was, they had the transition between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it was just perfectly set up for them. They had their cornerstone guy in Brett Favre, and they had a guy in Aaron Rodgers who was super talented, got to learn under Favre for a couple of years, and for whatever reason, um, had the courage to sit out of the NFL for a couple of years, and then he was ready. And I think that was kind of a, a once in a lifetime. It was a real anomaly situation. And I think the Packers are just trying to, to uh, do that over again. They're trying to have that same exact situation with Jordan Love. And they must have really liked the tape on him to be able to do this. But, you know, it, it's getting a lot of criticism. And I think for good reason, because the Packers, while they were a contender last year, they weren't close to winning the Super Bowl. They got ran off the field against the Niners. And so you think with a first-round talent or a first-round pick, they would draft a first-round talent, maybe on defense, maybe a receiver. There was plenty of those available at the time. But they chose not to, and they chose a, a guy that the Packers hope probably won't play for five years because Aaron Rodgers is only 36. And you look at the direction of the league 
that's going. Drew Brees is, is like 40 right now. Tom Brady's, what, 40, 43. So you'd hope that the Aaron Rodgers doesn't play for or doesn't have to hang it up for several more years. That Jordan Love, in the best case of the Packers' mind, doesn't have to play for five years. So why is that worth a first-round pick? Yeah, exactly. From the Packers' perspective, they've seen what's happened when Aaron Rodgers isn't on the field. They saw it with Deshaun Kaiser just a year ago. They saw it with Brent Hundley a year before that. So they know what happens when their star talent is off the field. So I think they're trying to mitigate that type of risk. You need a quarterback in this type of NFL. And like you mentioned, Sean, they did it with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers 15 years ago. Why can't they do it again? I'm a big proponent on getting a quarterback a little too early rather than a little too late. But the one knock with this pick here, at least in my opinion, I think it's a lot better than a lot of people think. But the main knock is Aaron Rodgers just got out of that super controversial relationship with Mike McCarthy. You're throwing him back into a new relationship with Matt LaFleur and the new front office there in Green Bay. You don't want him to have controversy or contention in that type of relationship at all. And I think that's what this pick fosters is a little <laughs> bit of uneasiness around that Packers organization. If Aaron Rodgers knew that they were going to go after Jordan Love before the draft, then I think that it's fine. But if this is a surprise to Aaron Rodgers like it was to everyone else, then I don't really love it from the Packers' perspective. I think they could have waited a year or two before they got their next guy. All right, so I'm going to give a similar take that I gave on our draft reaction show that dropped this morning. My thoughts really haven't changed on it. So... You take Jordan Love. I'm going to skip going over him as a prospect because we kind of know what he is. He has a lot of upside, but he also has a lot of downside. There's a reason that he's a lower first-round pick. But you take Jordan Love and you put him on this Packers team. Like Sean said, it really mimics that situation of Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre when Aaron Rodgers was a rookie. It is a uh, late first-round draft pick, not a huge amount of college success, but the talent is obviously there. You take him and you put him on a team with a legendary quarterback who is maybe not in the twilight of his career, but nearing the end. Aaron Rodgers is 36 years old. So you take this situation and your best hope is that Jordan Love can sit and learn behind Aaron Rodgers and they can have that mentor-mentee kind of relationship. But you have to keep in mind that I don't think Aaron Rodgers is that kind of guy to be like, okay, yeah, the next quarterback is here. Let's mentor him and let's make sure the future of the Packers is right. I'm not going to attack Aaron Rodgers' character too much, but he often seems to be all about Aaron. And I just don't think this relationship is going to do any good for Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and for the Packers as a whole. I think the best bet for Green Bay would have just to draft a fifth or sixth round guy, let him sit behind Aaron and see what happens. I think drafting a guy in the first round sends a really strong message to Aaron that they are ready to move on. Regardless of what they say, I think the general manager it was came out this morning and said, we have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. We intend to have him starting for us for years to come. Like That's kind of BS if you think about it, because you don't spend a first round pick on a guy that you don't envision playing. Like Jordan Love is here to start at some point, and that is probably going to be sooner or later. I absolutely agree. You, with a first-round pick, you're picking, especially at the quarterback position, you're picking the heir apparent. And 
Typically, it's the heir apparent within the next two or three years, at the very most, at the very most. So you expect Jordan Love to see the field in the very near future, and I don't think this bodes well for the end of Aaron Rodgers' career, and he might take a pretty similar trajectory to what Brett Favre did. It's almost like deja vu just 15 years later with this Packers organization. Exactly. And, and they're very obviously trying to mimic that same situation, right? Like the relationship wasn't perfect between Favre and Aaron Rodgers by no means, but in the end it did work out. And I think they're trying to mimic that, but I just don't like the message they're sending when they not only spend their first round pick on a guy, but they trade up to go get him. So they were aggressively pursuing the quarterback to replace Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think that sits well with a guy like Aaron. And maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe Aaron Rodgers was already on his way out before this draft even happened. And it's likely that he could be out in the next year or two and they want to get his heir apparent. Or maybe they just love Jordan Love and they see something in him that other teams maybe don't see as much or other scouts don't see as much. And maybe it was just too good to pass up. Even if he's going to be a backup for a little while, grab him in case Rodgers gets hurt or in case something bad goes with Rodgers and they think they have their guy. Who knows what happened, you know, with the Packers and who knows what's going behind the scenes, going on behind the scenes there. But regardless, I think it, I agree with you guys. I'm not a huge fan of the pick. And I I do want to transition to another, um, what is it? NFC, NFC North team that I didn't think the NFC North had a great, a great night last night. I didn't like what the Lions did either. I, I love Jeff Okuda. I think he's a great prospect, but the Lions traded Darius Slay about a month ago. And they traded him for a third and a fifth Dar- round pick. Darius Slay. I could have swore he was a free agent. No, they traded him. They traded they Darius trade. Slay to the Philadelphia Eagles. And then they replaced him with a rookie. And so Jeff Okuda is going to be great. But they traded away one of their best players on their team already for just a third and a fifth round pick. And then they use the pick that they were tanking all season for. Um the third pick they ended up getting and they take Jeff Okuda who he's going to be great, but he probably won't be as good as Darius Slay would have performed for you next year. And I understand the contract issues and all that. And they Jeff Okuda is much cheaper, but it's just weird to me that they um, just got the same exact position that they already set on. Um, and they didn't get, you know, a Tua or maybe an O-lineman or maybe a Isaiah Simmons, something that they could have that's that was a weakness on this team. To in the Lions defense just a little bit here, not that you can really defend the Lions that much and really be justified in really anything they do, but in the Lions defense, they have so many holes on that team that I think their thought process with the number three overall pick was let's just take the best player on the board and start somewhere. They've, I mean, at quarterback, they've got Matt Stafford, who, and he's on my I've seen enough guys list in the NFL. I have a list of quarterbacks of guys that I've just seen enough with. I don't, I don't need anything more. I know what they are, and they probably don't need to be a starter anymore. Matt Stafford's talented, but he's not bad, and he'll win some games for him. But this Lions team is probably going to be at the top of next year's draft. Maybe they love Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they love Justin Fields, and they're trying to make a play for those guys. I think I don't think Tua is a sure thing kind of prospect, and that's probably what the Lions are looking for with their next quarterback. So that that's the only caveat I'll give them there. I think they were just trying to take the best player on the board because they have holes all over their field. Well, you mentioned all of their holes. If they have so many holes, why don't they trade down? Because That's what I was saying. They... 
they're in the prime position to trade out of that number three pick. We've heard it for months coming into this draft. That I heard reports is going to that trade. they uh, that they that they never even had an offer. They were in talks with teams, but they never even received an offer. And that's the problem with Detroit is if they wanted to trade down, they should have shopped that pick more. There are teams that want to move up to number three, and you could have sold it for a low price. And you probably could have got Jeff Okuda at around eight or nine in this draft. Mm, uh, maybe not six. Maybe not that low, but he's not going. The Giants probably aren't taking him. The Dolphins aren't because they need a quarterback, and the Chargers aren't because they need a quarterback. I think the Giants. I I really think the Giants would have snagged him up. He's he's the best prospect on the board at that point. All right. Well, if you think the Giants would have snatched him up, then fine. But they still should have traded out of that pick for something because. <laughs> Like you mentioned, there's so many holes. Jeff Okuda isn't going to be a team saver or a world beater right off the bat. You're going to have to give him some help. And we've already seen what the Lions are capable of doing with one of the best corners in the game. And that's still not that good in the form of Darius Slate a few years ago. They need a lot of help. And they should have traded out to get more guys in this draft. Well, you guys brought up some of the quarterbacks. I mean, we already talked about Jordan Love and, you know, Tua was just brought up, but we haven't talked about Burrow or Herbert yet. And I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on where they ended up last night. We all I've got I've Burrow. got a game for this, Sean. I've got okay. a game for this. All right. I want to play the I, no, I want to play the quarterback matchmaker. So we all work at KWVA radio station in Eugene. Me and Ryan, I think, were the ones who did this quarterback matchmaker segment on our radio show there. And we're going to bring it back. But except this time, we actually have the matches made. We're just going to decide if it's a good match or not a good match. So we'll just start from the top. Joe Burrow, number one. Match or not a match? Well, I mean, you made the video about this, Scott, a few days ago. I don't think it's a match. I agree with you. If you haven't checked out that video, go do it because you pointed out a lot of great, great points in that video of why. Bengals fans don't think so. They're real big into defending their 2-14 and 14 squad that hasn't won a playoff game in 20 years. I loved your video. I was blown <laughs> away by how fantastic it was. And you pointed out all of the points of why Joe Burrow probably wouldn't fit that well in Cincinnati. If he goes to a team that has the core around him or a nice coaching staff or a good front office, then he has a chance or a much better chance of having a much better relationship. I just don't see it in Cincinnati. I'm mixed about it. Uh, I think Burrow's going to be a superstar. I think he's going to be great no matter where he ended up. Uh, just based on that last year at LSU, he's one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen. I think you need a real swagger. You need a real confidence to succeed in the NFL, and that's why I like Burrow, and I'm not as big on Herbert. Um, but with that being said, there's some positives and negatives to him ending up with the Bengals. I think a positive is that Zach Taylor is he comes from Sean McVay's totem pole and he wants to run a more modern offense. He wants to throw the ball around. And that's exactly what Joe Burrow did at LSU last year. And there's some real weapons with the Bengals. I mean, John Ross, Joe Mixon, AJ Green, if he can stay healthy, Tyler Eifert, if he can stay healthy. So the Bengals have some players on the other hand. Joe Burrow's walking into what I think is one of the two best divisions in football, um, walking in with the Browns, who now with their offensive tackle, another great pick last night, I think they have a complete roster. The Ravens, who I think are one of three best teams in football, and we'll get to the Niners and the Chiefs later, but I think it's those three. 
and then it's the uh, Steelers, who are always going to be good, no matter who's on their roster. So, and those are three of the best defenses on paper in the entire NFL. So, I think in that aspect, he's going to struggle a little bit, and he's going to be playing from day one, unlike some of these other quarterbacks. So, here's kind of the gist of my Joe Burrow video that I just released. Quarterback success in the NFL, I think, is almost entirely circumstantial. There are there's a reason that these guys getting drafted in the first round are getting drafted in the first round. Like they are talented guys who have the ability to be great NFL quarterbacks. But in the NFL, just talent alone does not win you games and it does not bring you success. You have to have the backing of a good owner, a good coach, a good coordinator, good players around you, good good management. Everything kind of has to fall into place. We've seen quarterbacks that aren't as talented really succeed because of the backing they have, and we've seen ultra-talented quarterbacks fail because of the backing they don't have. And Cincinnati, they're kind of in the midst of starting a new regime. It really just started last year with the Zach Taylor era there. But I just haven't liked what I've seen so far. He was the quarterback's coach in for one year in Los Angeles when they made the Super Bowl. Sean McVay's offense has proven to be very stoppable last year. And I, I'm i not going to write off Zach Taylor yet, but just based off the fact that he's supposed to be a coach that's going to change your offense and be a dynamic air raid, and they were 30th in the year last year, or 30th in the league last year in their passing attack. I'm not all in on the Zach Taylor train. So I don't like the backing that Joe Burrow has right now. He's an ultra-talented quarterback, and there's a, re- there's a reason he was the number one overall pick of this draft, but I think he's set up to fail in Cincinnati. He could very well overcome it. Many quarterbacks have, but it's just not that likely and not that common. Yeah, we'll I think you hit me on the head. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Scott. I think unfortunately for him he's gonna like i said he's gonna walk into one of the best divisions in football one of the most physical divisions in all football and he's gonna have and to start from day one and that to could add I mean, to that maybe point, they sean, add a backup to add to that point sean you mentioned how the Bengals have some weapons at the skill positions what's which they do can they they're all stay, injury prone yeah yeah can they stay healthy that's another question but they do have weapons but the thing is not only is the AFC North maybe the best division in football right now, but they also have by far the best defensive lines, and the Bengals mm-hmm. have by far the worst offensive line in that division. Joe Burrow's going to be under duress all season long. To me, this is absolutely not a match. But let's go ahead and let's move to the next quarterback taken. That's Tua to the Dolphins. I personally love this pick. I think Brian Flores is one of the brightest young head coaches in the NFL. Tua's obviously an ultra-talented player. Reminds me of like a Russell Wilson-Drew Brees hybrid, just a guy who can move around in the pocket, deliver short darts all day, make accurate throws, precision passes all day long. I like this move for the Dolphins. Obviously, the question mark is can he stay healthy, but I think that's a risk you've got to take with a talent like Tua. To me, this is an absolute match and maybe the best match of the draft in, in general. I think it's going to be a match. I think right now, this season, it's not a match because I don't think Tua will play. I think that what Brian Flores has done with the roster the last two years has been, or the last, like, just over a year, has been assemble it to really fit what he wants to do. But he's not there yet. He's not 100% to what he wants his roster to be, and that will take another year or two to complete. 
once this Dolphins roster is Brian Flores's team, then I think it will be a match. Right now in this transition period, I think it'd be smart for Tua to sit and for Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in and be that bridge. But once this team is fully assembled, I think it will absolutely be a match. It was the perfect pick for the Dolphins, a franchise that's been struggling for about 20 years. They, I mean, as a Dolphins fan, they haven't really been relevant my entire life. They needed a guy who was going to bring some excitement to the city, a guy that, you know, maybe could miss, but if he hit, was really going to hit and really going to be something special because you got to keep in mind, they just said goodbye to Tannehill, who was pretty average for all those years. I mean, he wasn't necessarily bad, but he was pretty average. And so they're not looking for average. They're not looking for the safe pick, maybe Justin Herbert, who has a certain ceiling. They're looking for a potential superstar. And so if he doesn't if he doesn't hit, I think the Dolphins are still going in the right tra- projection, right trajection. But I think this this pick has a very high ceiling and it, it's good for Tua because he's walking into a situation with Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy that that Dolphins could put in the starting lineup, and if he has the right guys around him, they Ryan Fitzpatrick can win you nine or ten games easily. He can make make you a playoff team um, by him starting at quarterback, and so Tua can be patient. He can recover his hip, and maybe he'll play in the latter half. But like you said, Ryan, he might just take a gap year next year and kind of learn under Fitzpatrick, and we'll see what they do with Rosen. But I, I definitely think it's the right pick for a franchise that's been struggling for all these years. First of all, poor Josh Rosen. Guy never even, really even got a chance in the league. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, all right, so we'll move on to Justin Herbert. You already mentioned him. And he got drafted number six overall by the Los Angeles Chargers. That still feels weird to say. And I actually really like this pick. Now, we all three go to the University of Oregon. And while Justin Herbert was at Oregon, I wasn't the biggest Herbert guy. I mean... He has the talent. He has a big arm. I mean, all the potential is there, but he just never really actually did that much. The results didn't show themselves at the University of Oregon. And I do, but I do like this pick for the Chargers. I think Herbert is a guy that at the end of the day, above all else, is a guy that if you have a good system and you have good backing, you have good management, you have good players, Justin Herbert can come in and run that as good as anybody in the league. I don't think, like Sean said, I don't think he's going to be ever be an MVP caliber guy who is lighting it up in a game changer himself. But I think he's a lot like a Philip Rivers was yeah. in the San Diego Chargers. He's just a guy who's going to keep you afloat. He's eventually not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's going to run your system well, and he's going to be more than a good enough quarterback, but kind of like a good enough quarterback. You know what I'm saying? I think he gives the Chargers a really good chance to win for a long time. They have a lot of those layers of the pyramid with the ownership, the management, the players, the coordinators that I was talking about. They have a lot of those really solidly in place. So I think this is a match. As you guys know, I've been comparing Justin Herbert to Josh Allen for a long time now, since about the middle of the season during his senior year. And that's still exactly where I think the comparison is. I think that he's Josh Allen. We saw with Josh Allen this year, he can succeed in a good system with a good defense. And Josh Allen didn't even have the weapons that the Chargers do. He was working with Josh, uh, John Brown and Cole Beasley out there on the outside. Justin Herbert, he's inheriting Keenan Allen. Uh, he's inheriting Mike Williams, Hunter Henry. He's getting a very, very solid team around him not to mention on the defensive end that can carry him with Derwin James and Joey Bosa so 
I think that this is the type of team that Herbert can use to be successful. Will he be a Super Bowl winning quarterback anytime soon? Probably not. But he will be a guy that is serviceable enough to not lose you enough games to fall out of the playoff race. I want to comment on that real quick, Ryan, the can he be a Super Bowl winning quarterback? I slightly disagree on that aspect. I think the NFL, the salary cap league that it is right now, it's so important to have that quarterback on the rookie contract to build the contending team around him. And I think the Chargers have a very, very good roster around him, and they can win this year as long as Herbert becomes a serviceable guy who doesn't make a ton of mistakes, if he even is the actual starter. There's other options that they have. But with this Chargers team, I think these next few years are going to be their best case for the Super Bowl. Because once you have to pay that quarterback your other resources become very slim in terms of how much money you can allocate into them. So I think if they're going to win, it's going to be in these next few seasons. I completely agree. I think that I should probably have rephrased. I don't think he's going to be the quarterback that will lead the team to the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. but he can be the quarterback on a Super Bowl team, if you put it that way. It's a great situation for Justin Herbert. I mean, he's just going to the neighboring state in California. He's lived in Eugene his entire life, and now he gets to live in L.A., um, unlike Joe Burrow, he's not walking into um, such a you know a, a physical um, division like the um, what the AFC North. Instead, he's walking into the AFC West with the Broncos, the Raiders, the Chiefs. Maybe not as physically defensive. Physical. There, there's defensive only one teams. known team that we know what we're going to get in that division. The Chiefs. Yeah, so he's not walking into the best division, and he gets to be in L.A. He gets to be on the West Coast. He's not going to Jacksonville or Miami, so it's not going to be too new. He gets to learn um, under Tyrod Taylor for a year, which is a good situation for him as well. And I think the Chargers, although you know I have my questions about whether they should be in L.A., whether they have fans. By the way, another very funny part of the draft last night was the fact that the Chargers had 10 fans and not 12. They had to fill the two of the Zoom screens with the Chargers logo. I mean, he's walking into that organization, um, but I still think it's a really functional organization. They have some really good players. Derwin James, Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler is a name that you guys didn't mention. I mean, they have some really, really good weapons, really good players. And the last thing I want to say about Herbert is I think – Beside the football aspect of him, which certainly has its weaknesses, I think the biggest concern for Herbert that I had was just kind of he was kind of like the opposite of Burrow. And the fact that Burrow walks around with the swagger, the confidence, and it translates to the field. Herbert always kind of seemed like, you know, he seemed a little nervous at times. He didn't really show up in the biggest of games. Uh, the, the Rose Bowl performance was rather impressive, but, you know, you look at Auburn, uh, didn't really show up. He, he didn't take over that game. Even Washington, Jacob Eason was probably better than him that game. The Civil War, it was 30 degrees that day. It was absolutely miserable, and he played like it. He, he played miserably. And so he's lucky that he's going to L.A. He's not going to be playing in Lambeau very often. He's not going to be playing against the Ravens or the Steelers. He's playing in a division that I think is kind of kind of like Oregon, kind of like the Pac-12. He, he's not walking into like an SEC-type division. Yeah, I mean, you guys all made great points there. We'll see how Herbert does. We already touched on – Jordan Love, but more of the relationship between Rodgers, Packers, and Jordan Love, that aspect of things. But let's touch on how Jordan Love actually will fit on this Packers team long term. Is this a match or is this not? 
I think it's up in the air at this point. I think that if he stays in Green Bay and gets to start maybe three years from now, it's the perfect match because he has a well-established team, a well-established franchise, and he's going to get to learn from one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But if he doesn't necessarily get the opportunities that he's looking for, then he could be in a situation where he doesn't really ever get the chance to shine, almost like a Josh Rosen is, where he's bounced around and is maybe the starter but doesn't really get a chance to fully flourish. So it's it's going to determine a lot on what is going to happen to Aaron Rodgers throughout his career. But if Jordan Love is the quarterback of the Packers in three years, then I think that it is a good fit. It's not a good situation because of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I think you look at what Patrick Mahomes walked into. Alex Smith was there. Alex Smith isn't even close to Aaron Rodgers, both on a personality standpoint. I think Alex Smith is a much more selfless, generous person who is willing to uh, mold Patrick Mahomes. And uh, Alex Smith also isn't that great of a quarterback. I mean, he was kind of on his way out. And so Patrick Mahomes walked into that. Jordan Love, on the other hand, is walking into – you know, Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, who's still only 36 years old. You'd think he has five more years left to play. He's not the nicest guy from what we've heard. He's not, I don't think he's going to be willing to help Jordan Love as much as an Alex Smith would. So it would be a good situation if Rodgers was older or if it wasn't Rodgers, because I think the Packers are a great organization. I think LaFleur is a great coach. I think Love has potential, but I think it's just a weird situation to be walking into with Aaron Rodgers kind of, not in his prime, but just maybe just out of his prime, still playing some good football. And, you know, with his personality, I think it's it's a little awkward. For me, I can't definitively say if this is going to be a match or not going to be a match right now, only because I think time is going to tell with this thing. We don't really know what the relationship is going to look like six, seven months from now when the season is in full swing. We don't know what it's going to look like in a year or two or three from now. Like Sean said, the Packers are a great organization. And if there is a quarterback that's a little iffy that you don't know for sure what they are, the Packers are absolutely an organization you would want them to go to because they will bring out the best in him. But I just worry that Jordan Love might be finding his way to another team maybe in the, in the next couple of years because I think if anybody's going to win this thing, if it becomes a confrontation, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the point that I was trying to get at a little bit is – if Jordan Love is out alphaed by Aaron Rodgers, then it's not going to bode well for the overall career of Jordan Love. So let's move on from the quarterbacks. We got our thoughts out there. Overall, what team was the biggest winner of round one? Who had the best round one? That, that's a little bit difficult to say because I didn't think there was anything that really jumped out in round one. I thought the 49ers did a great job, but I'll say mm -hmm. the Arizona Cardinals. I'll stay in the NFC West. I think they filled the exact role that they needed to fill. They added one of the best players, I think, in this draft in Isaiah Simmons. I think he's the perfect new defender for the modern NFL. He's going to be that hybrid type of guy like a Derwin James is, and he's going to be able to play anywhere on the field at any given time. And I think that for the Cardinals, adding a guy like that is really what you want in a draft. A guy that can probably play right away. A guy that can be a difference maker right away. And start to really lift up the Arizona defense. When Arizona's been focused on offense a lot. 
but their defense is sneakily getting better and better, and they continue to add bits and pieces, and I think Isaiah Simmons might be the leader of that defense for years to come. Arizona's okay. going to be... Arizona's going to be a good team next year. I, I think that team is really on the come up, and we'll see what Cliff Kingsbury has as a coach. But, Scott, I kind of want to go with a couple of teams. I think the Rich got richer last night. You look at the best teams in the league right now. Um, we'll start with the Chiefs. They got Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who is a fantastic running back. He had some really, really standout games against Alabama and against Clemson. He made some, I mean, throughout that run that LSU went on last year, he was certainly a standout player with Joe Burrow. And now he's walking into just an amazing situation with Patrick Mahomes, a very similar situation. And I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to be really good. Um, Another team, you know, Patrick Queen, a linebacker that a lot of teams really like, the Ravens snatched him up the 49ers were really playing mind games with the rest of the league last night they were trading picks left and right and they ended up with two of their favorite guys according to you know what some people say Brandon Ayuk apparently was their favorite wide receiver on the board and then they got Javon Kinlaw so they're kind of keeping up that identity that they have with Kinlaw being a great front seven team And then if I wanted to say another winner, I will say that C.D. Lamb, I wanted him on the Dolphins. He's going to be fantastic on the Cowboys. Amari Cooper, uh, C.D. Lamb, you know, Michael Gallup. They're just going to be absolutely phenomenal. And um, while the Cowboys, I don't think, are that rich right now, I don't think they're that great of a team to make the playoffs last year. I think C.D. Lamb's going to be a really good pickup for them. I was extremely disappointed that the Eagles did not make the move up to go grab C.D. Lamb, but we'll get into that later. For now, my biggest winner of this draft, like Ryan said, the 49ers. He hit on those points there. They get Kinlaw, they get Ayuk, both great prospects who are going to fit in great with what they do. I think the 49ers, I mean... I don't think you can really argue that a team had a more successful first round than them. They just made the Super Bowl last year, and they got two top guys that they really wanted in the first round of the draft. They only got better. This is going to work out great for them. My second team that I think had a really underratedly good first round was the Minnesota Vikings Mm -hmm. because they were able to hang at their pick. They didn't have to move up, and they got a wide receiver that they wanted, and I actually pegged that he should go to the Vikings and he would succeed a lot there in Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson doesn't have the ceiling of a C.D. Lamb or an Ayuk or a Ruggs or those guys, but I think he was probably the safest wide receiver pick in this draft. He's a great route runner. He's very versatile. He can go any wide receiver slot on the field. He showed last season at LSU that he really flourishes in an offense that has a great system where they throw the ball around. He's going to fit in really well in Minnesota and I think ultimately become their new wide receiver one with the absence of Stephon Diggs. So I think the Vikings had a really underratedly nice first round with that Justin Jefferson pick. They basically treated Stephon Diggs for Justin Jefferson yep. since the Bill, they got that Bills first round pick. So uh, maybe there was something going on internally with Stephon Diggs, but I think that's kind of, I oh, think most was. people would lean. Most people would lean Diggs as the better player than Jefferson, but we'll see what Jefferson ends up. Can I add one? I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have had the best offseason in the entire NFL, and last night oh, yeah. they made a quiet pick. Tristan Wirfs, number 13, a guy that fell a little bit. A guy that kind of a steal friction. there at 13. Yeah, a little bit of a steal at 13. The guy, they showed his power cleaning uh, ability. He broke all sorts of weightlifting records at Iowa. He's a monster, and he's going to be protecting Tom Brady next year, and that offense is going to be dynamic. 
Well, yes, Milano. Can I go? Can I go into that 49ers Buccaneers trade a tiny bit? I did it a little bit in my draft reaction. I thought it was spectacular what both Tampa Bay and San Francisco did. At the start of the draft, San Francisco leaked information that they weren't 100% all in on Joe Staley. And I think that was precisely to, if there was one of those top four offensive linemen on the board of that 13th pick, they knew that Tampa Bay wanted a lineman to protect Tom Brady. They did it perfectly. You mentioned Sean playing mind games with the rest of the teams. They did it so spectacularly to bait Tampa Bay into trading up one pick so that San Francisco could get the same guy that they would want anyways at 14. It worked for Tampa Bay because they needed that offensive lineman, but San Francisco and John Lynch have done an amazing job. It feels like they're just toying and taking candy from the baby here. They're, it feels like they're superior. I don't want to toot the 49ers horn because mm-hmm. I am a 49ers fan, but I was blown away by how well they maneuvered in this draft and how well they manipulated other teams into doing exactly what they wanted them to. They did a good job, but I will say that I was thinking throughout the draft, like, oh, oh boy, the Niners are about to get Judy or CeeDee Lamb, two of the best receivers in this draft and two maybe great receivers in this league for a long time. But they passed on those guys, and I think if those guys pan out the way people think they will, it's going to be a pretty big loss for the Niners. All right, so... Let's shift to the opposite end of the spectrum. The team with the worst night in the first round. I'll start on this one because this one, unfortunately, hits so close to home for me. I have to say the Philadelphia Eagles. I slept on this thing, and I woke up just feeling so salty that they passed on the guys they did. They had the opportunity to go get C.D. Lamb trade up in the draft they had the opportunity to draft other wide receivers who I think are much better prospects than Jalen Rager and I'm not saying Jalen Rager is not going to be a good wide receiver in this league he very well could be he's got speed he's got quickness versatility he's got the tools but just on paper and for an Eagles team that is trying to win right now today win a Super Bowl this season Ayuk or not Ayuk sorry Rager just seems like one of the least ready guys to go plug into your offense and win big games. The Eagles did not sign or trade for a big name wide receiver this offseason when they had the opportunity to, justifying it by saying that they wanted a young guy for Carson to go mesh with, and that young guy happens to be a 5'10 guy who's going to play in the slot and run streak routes his whole career. I just don't think that's the number one wide receiver that Carson needs and has lacked his whole career. Like I said, Rager could end up being a great player, and I sure hope he does. I'll be rooting for him. But on paper, this was just not the guy to take. He's the least NFL-ready of the first-round receivers, and he is going to have so much pressure on him, and he will be compared to Judy, Ruggs, Jefferson, Lamb, his whole entire career now. And in Philadelphia, I just don't know that Jalen Rager is ready for that. And Big 12 guys have struggled a little bit in the past. I mean, notably, the last TCU receiver that I remember being a big draft pick was um, Josh Doxson, and that guy fell off the face of the earth. And so we'll see what happens with Rager. I've mentioned, you know, I mentioned the Lions, how I didn't love what they did. I think they could have moved back and still gotten Akuda, and I think it's silly for them to, to, dra- to trade away Darius Slay and then just get, like, a younger version of him um, who Slay will take a little out. bit of time. Slay wanted out, but... 
um, Okuda, they got the same exact position. Uh, and we're talking about, what, a five-win team here. And they didn't. I don't think they got too much better last night. Um, I didn't think the Jaguars made a lot of noise last night, considering they had two picks. They got Henderson and they got um, Kaysan from LSU. I think they could have done more with those two picks. And then um, the team I wanted to bring up was the Raiders. Um, I think they kind of had a weird night as well. They had two picks. They could have gotten any receiver they wanted. They ended up going with Ruggs, which if you have a Patrick Mahomes, Ruggs is great. You look at Tyree Kill, it's fantastic. But if you have Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota, two receivers that are a little more limited, I think you go with a Judy. You go with a safer pick. You don't go with the guy that will catch home run balls for you. So I, think I disagree. Was a weird pick. I disagree on that one, Sean, only because of the fit. Now, I ranked all the wide receivers in this draft in a video on our channel just a couple days ago, and I actually had Ruggs as my second-best receiver in this draft. I think he's going to be great, and I think we're kind of going towards that Tyreek Hill, Hollywood Brown archetype of receiver in today's NFL. But that said, the Raiders, I think, actually nailed this pick at number 12. He fits into what John Gruden and Mike Mayock are building, and that speedy, athletic guys who will buy into their system. And any guy coming from Alabama knows what it takes to buy into a system and what they have to do and, ha and know how to be a little bit selfless. So I really like this pick for the Raiders, but at the same time, if it was a team like the Broncos, I wouldn't like it because he doesn't he doesn't fit into what you want to do, and Judy might be a better long-term option for a team like that. But for the Raiders, I actually really love that pick. Yeah, well, Sean, Scott and I might disagree with you on the Raiders' point. We both like those picks that they made. I do agree with you on the Jaguars' point. I hate what the Jacksonville Jaguars did in this draft. I think it was absolutely terrible. The Jaguars' organization is the worst in football, in my opinion. Second worst. I'm not conceding Browns. that point, Scott. The <laughs> Jaguars are the worst organization in Browns. football. Cowboys. Not even not even going there with those teams. They don't come anywhere near the Jacksonville Jaguars. First, they were baited into taking C.J. Henderson, who before the draft was somewhere near a mid-first rounder. Only about a week ago was he starting to move up of draft boards, and they took the bait on him. They bought it hook, line, and sinker, and... They are going to get burned by C.J. Henderson, a guy that I don't think is that good. And then Caleb Von way Chasen. Way too small. Caleb Von Chasen is also way too small as a pass rusher, and I don't think that it was the position of need that they were going for. They drafted a pass rusher last year in Josh Allen. They have another one in Yannick Ngakwe who wants out and who they presumably wants out, but they haven't traded him yet, and they continue to not trade him, and his trade value is just getting lower and lower to the point where I'm not even convinced that they will get rid of him. And even then, they brought in Cassius Marsh as well, who plays that same position. There's so many holes on this Jaguars team. They could have addressed anything, and defensive edge was the absolute last position that they needed. Right. And Caleb on Chasen, I don't think was the pick there. I'm going to disagree with you here, Ryan, and I'm going to use one of your previous takes against you here. You said that Isaiah Simmons to the Cardinals was a great pick because he is a guy who can play multiple positions on the defensive front and linebacker and safety and guard people, rush the passer, stop the I don't run, think Caleb Von Chasen's that guy. I think Caleb Von, I think Caleb Von Chasen can, and I think you should just watch. That being said, it really wasn't a huge need for the Jaguars, but I think Caleb Von Chasen is going to be a very good player in this league, 
And if if you were right about this kind of new rover position starting up, I think Caleb Von Chasen is going to be one of the poster boys for that. I disagree. I think that Caleb Von Chasen is an undersized edge rusher. I don't think he has the skills to play linebacker. I don't think he has the skills to play safety. I think that he is an edge rusher through and through. He can't slip inside to the defensive tackle position or a 3-4 defensive end because he's too small. He's a 4-3 defensive end in any scheme, and I just don't think it will work in Jacksonville. He fits the scheme, but they have so many defensive ends there already. It was the last position of need. They could have taken wide receiver. They could have taken quarterback. They could have got offensive line. They could have got a second member of the secondary, all of which I thought would have been way better picks than Caleb on Chase in there. Yeah, get Gardner Minshew some weapons. I mean, they they could have gotten really – I don't think C.D. Lamb was on the board by the time they took Chasen, but maybe with their first pick, they could have gone with Judy. The second one pick, thing, they could have gotten IU or one Jaguars of those guys. One thing the Jaguars have done somewhat well in these past five, six years and their total dysfunction that they've been in is draft late-round wide receivers well. That is one thing that I have to give them a little bit of credit for. Alan Hearns um, – who was the other guy that played played with Alan Hearns for years? Alan, Alan Robinson. Robinson. Alan Robinson. Yeah, like they 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 know how to get late round wide receivers, so maybe they can make something work there. But the Jaguars are an absolute mess. That being said, let's move to the biggest steal of this draft. Are you just leaving it up? Yeah. I mean, I, I already said it with the Cardinals. I think it's Isaiah Simmons. He should have gone four to the Giants. He should have gone seven to the Panthers. He could have even gone six to the Chargers. I think that Isaiah Simmons at eight is an absolute steal, but I'll go with a different one, and I think it's Jerry Judy, without a doubt. We came out with our wide receiver rankings, and we had him at three, but throughout the draft, I was most anticipated for who was going to draft Judy because for some reason I just felt like he was the best guy available, even though we ranked him behind Ruggs and behind Lamb in our wide receiver rankings. Well, he's definitely the most NFL-ready in, in terms of that standpoint. For some, I think that the Broncos got an absolute steal at 15. I really like this Jerry Judy pick, and throughout the draft, the more he fell, the more I started to like him, and the more I started to like wherever he would end up. So I know you're going to disagree with me here, Ryan, and I agree with both of those steals that you mentioned. It may not look like a steal right now because this is where he around where he was projected to go, but I think in five, six years, we will look back at this and be like, how did they get him at number seven? And that is Derek Brown to the Carolina Panthers. This guy is ginormous. He is athletic. He is fast. He has a high motor. He put up numbers at Auburn. He's going to put up numbers in the NFL. I think he's got to lose just a little bit of weight, get a little bit of quicker. But he is already super hyper athletic at that defensive tackle position. And I think Derek Brown is going to be a dynamic, dynamic player in this league for years. I disagree. I, want- I think I think that the Panthers, I don't hate Derek Brown there. I like Derek Brown as a top 10 pick. For the Panthers, Isaiah Simmons for me was clearly the right choice. And I'm sounding like a huge Isaiah Simmons fan right now. But I think that he would have been the perfect replacement for Luke Keekley. They just lost a all-world talent generational linebacker. And they had a chance to replace him immediately in this draft with a guy like Isaiah Simmons. And they didn't take the shot at him. And I think that's going to be a huge mistake. When's the last defensive tackle other than Aaron Donald that you've seen really tear up the league? And there aren't that many. 
And I don't think that Derek Brown is an Aaron Donald type of player. So I don't think he'll be that transcendent on the defensive side of the ball. But he's no Aaron Donald, but he is going to he is going to be a good NFL player. And I, I'm willing to put money on that. Derek Brown has the motor, the athleticism, the work ethic, this and more than enough size. He's got enough size for two yeah. of your defensive tackles. And Derek Brown is going to be a beast. What do you think, Sean? Brown's a good player. Uh, Brown, I mean, he, I remember I only watched Auburn once this year. It was against Oregon. But he, he certainly made an impact against Oregon. And when you look at, I believe it was 2016, the recruiting rankings. But there was top the top four guys in that recruiting class. Um, Brown was the only one who played in college this past year. The other three guys got drafted very highly. It was pretty incredible, the recruiting class that. Uh, I think it was like 24-7 sports predicted because it was Derek Brown fourth and he just got picked. And then the three guys in front of them all got picked very highly the previous year. So Derek Brown stuck around Auburn for a fourth year. And he, I think he's an NFL body. He's been, you know, he's been playing against NFL bodies for years. And uh, I mean, Isaiah Simmons is great as well, but I think it was the Panthers. It was just pick your guy. And they clearly picked D tackle over linebacker and, who knows? I, I kind of trust what the Panthers are doing right now. I, I, I like the way that organization is rebuilding. Um, but I don't want to be too redundant with the steals uh, that I picked. But I think that CeeDee Lamb, as I mentioned earlier, is going to be a superstar on the Cowboys. And I <laughs> I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to be a superstar on the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs just got a whole lot scarier with that pick. Well, can I talk, right, about, can I talk about the Clyde Edwards-Alaire just for one second? I sure one second they're taking away they're taking away my boy Darwin Thompson Darwin Thompson clearly the best running back in the league clearly going to be the future of the NFL they're trying to Mm. drag him down they can't do it Darwin Thompson is elite I I don't care what you say okay so we'll we'll let Ryan be a fanboy for a little bit but now we'll move on to some more serious football talk we're recording this on Friday, April 24th. It's 340. Round two of the NFL draft is about to start in 20 more minutes. So going into round two of this draft, what's the biggest storyline for you guys? What are you guys most looking forward to seeing how it goes down? Two things. The running backs, all the running backs that are still available. I think there's yep. potential star running backs that are still on the board. There's Jonathan multiple Taylor. potential stars. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins were both incredible in the Big yep. Ten. They both dominated, um, and they broke records. Um, and I think both those guys will pan out in the NFL. And then DeAndre Swift. There's also Zach Moss of Utah. There's Cam Akers of Florida State. There's a ton of running backs still on the board, and I think a lot of those guys are getting picked. And then what I'm curious to see is the quarterbacks to get picked today. And I'm curious if the Patriots are going to bite on a quarterback. And, you know, if the Patriots get one, I really trust Bill Belichick. I don't know why, but I tend to trust that guy. And they obviously need a quarterback. They've been super passive. They passed up on Lamar Jackson. They passed up on some other guys in replacing uh, Tom Brady. They traded Jimmy Garoppolo. I want to see if they finally bite on a quarterback and which guy they get because I have a feeling whoever they get, it could be their guy of the future. Maybe they love Jalen Hurts, and maybe they go on Jalen Hurts tonight. And if they tend to do that, then I might have different feelings about Jalen Hurts when I go to bed tonight. So um, I'm excited to see what quarterbacks get picked. Um, another guy is Jacob Eason. Maybe he goes to the Colts. That's what a lot of people are predicting. So quarterbacks and running backs tonight. Yeah, I think you got the top two. I'm also interested to see the wide receivers. It's been the storyline of the draft, but – 
Denzel Mims still on the board, Michael Pittman, Pittman. T. Higgins. Yep. There's still a lot of wide receivers to come off the board. T. And Higgins be is going to be an absolute steal in round two. An absolute steal in round two. Yeah, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting where the wide receivers fall to go along with the quarterbacks and the running backs. It's going to be an offensive second round, in my opinion, yeah. and that's the main That's fun. Ones. That's fun. I think that's good for the draft in general. Um, for me, biggest storyline going into round two, I'm probably going to have to say just Jalen Hurts in general because this was a guy at Alabama who we – we're assuming to be a Heisman candidate. He went to Oklahoma. He lit it up there. We were thinking this guy, you know, he's eventually going to be a high top quarterback picked in the draft one day. Things didn't work out like he quite had hoped. And I think if he goes to the right team with the right backing behind him, owner, coach, general manager, players, if all that is good, I think Jalen Hurts has the potential to be a really good starting quarterback in this league and a nice little round two steal. Yeah, completely. Hurts could be good. Watch out for right. Fromm too. So we'll to wrap this thing up. We'll end with a little bit different NFL talk. I just wanted to touch on this because I love to play Madden personally. Lamar Jackson was just selected as the cover athlete for Madden 21. Y'all worried about the curse or not? Absolutely not. No. Patrick Mahomes just won a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP and an MVP. I think well, that it had to take a year off because of. It, how hard it hit Antonio Brown. I think it just it was forced to take a year off. I disagree. I, I don't think that really the Madden curse is that as fleshed out as it should be. When Larry Fitzgerald was on the cover, he didn't have a bad yeah. year. When Drew Brees was on the cover, he's still Richard Sherman. Lead. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, Richard Sherman, and he got hurt. Impact player on the Niners Super Bowl team this year, or Super Bowl losing team. And we have our disagreements on Richard Sherman. But, um, I mean, as far as Lamar Jackson goes, like, I'm not even saying this just as, like, a part of the Madden curse or anything, but I think it's very obvious that we're going to see regression from him this year in That's terms of the apparent, numbers. Though. I don't think there's any way that he can put up, those, especially the running numbers again. But, I mean, I, the Ravens might be a little bit of a better team. He might improve as an overall quarterback, but I don't think we're going to see that crazy statistical year from Lamar again. But with that, it's 345. We're all trying to go watch round two of this draft. So we will go ahead and end this show. Mm -hmm. By the time you guys are listening to it, round two will be over. But we will react to that at some point. Thanks for listening. We think garbage time is going to be up to big things here. Scott Wardwell, Sean McPherson, and Ryan Milano. Make sure to subscribe to Semi-Pro. And thanks for watching.